Hello there, welcome to the International Business Podcast. I'm your host, Leonardo Marra, but let's make it simple and just call me Leo. In this podcast, I share my experiences and interview international professionals to draw lessons from the real-life stories. This is the fourth and last episode of the Multinational Strategy miniseries. Control and evaluation form the last part of the strategy formulation and implementation processes. This process covers examining the M&E's performance to assess how well or not well the organization has done and what actions should be taken in light of its achievements. The evaluation process is directly connected to the overall strategy, in which the objectives serve as the basis for comparison. If the comparison and evaluation display that the strategic business unit is performing according to expectations, then things will carry on as before. Goals may be modified because of changes in the strategic plan, but otherwise nothing considerable is likely to be amended. However, if there have been problems, the M&E will want to analyze the causes and work to get rid or minimize them. Thus, if the unit has performed extremely well and achieved more than anticipated, management may want to readjust the objectives to a higher level because there is seemingly greater market demand than was originally believed. For salespeople out there, they know exactly this process. As soon as targets are achieved, the bar goes up. Anyway, in making these decisions, the firm uses a variety of methods. Some are quantitative and depend on financial and productivity performance. Others are more qualitative. I'm going to explore six of the most common methods of measurement used for control and evaluation purposes. Return on investment is a ratio between net profit over a period and cost of investment. This is a major consideration in most cases. It is a single comprehensive result that is influenced by everything that happens in the business. It measures how well the managers in every part of the world are using the investments under their control and it allows a comparison of results among units in the same country. What about cons? Of course, there are shortcomings too. If one unit is selling goods to another unit, it is possible to artificially inflate the ROI of the first one. The ROI in a growing market will be higher than that in markets that are just getting off the ground or are maturing. This could result in a misleading comparison between units. Lastly, short-termism. The ROI evaluation, if relied on too heavily, will not help managers develop the necessary long-term time scope. Despite these drawbacks, however, ROI yet remains a critical measure of performance. Another method is market share measurement. Units are given sales targets that usually require greater sales with each passing year. If the firm has made a projection of the total demand, a market share figure accompanies the sales target for two reasons. The firm wants to increase its turnover and it at least wants to preserve or grab more market share. If the market is judged to be diminishing, sales targets are lowered, but the M&E still tries to retain market quota. A third performance area is costs. The M&E wants to increase sales and market share at as low a cost as possible. Production costs control is of paramount importance, as you can imagine. Therefore, expenses are tracked rigorously. This is particularly critical in dwindling markets, where the M&E wants to cut costs as sales drop. 
For instance, if a company estimates that it has only two years of product life in the market, it is likely that much of the advertising and promotion expenses will be lowered, as the company focuses attention on supplying a decreasing number of clients. New product development is another area of performance measure. New product development covers the complete process of bringing a new product to market. This area is extremely important for firms that rely on new offerings. Just think of any tech company that routinely brings a new product every year or so. Another performance area that must be evaluated is the quality of relations between M&E and host country foreign units have to work within the legal and cultural framework set by the country where they operate. Many attempt to do this by blending into the community, hiring local managers and employees conforming their product to the request of that market, reinvesting part or maybe even all of the profits back into the country, and working to improve the country's economic status. As a consequence, they get on well with the country and there are no complications with the government. One thing M&Es know from long experience is that poor host country relations can seriously endanger profits and even result in a loss. Ultimately, management performance must be examined. In rating this parameter, the M&E looks at two types of measures, quantitative and qualitative. In the first area, in addition to those discussed earlier on, other typical thoughts include return on invested capital and cash flow. In the qualitative area, further to host country relations, attention is given to relations with the home office, leadership qualities, how well the unit is building a management team, and how well the managers have implemented the envisioned strategy. These methods of measurement are used to reach into an overall assessment of the unit's performance. Depending on the results, the M&E can then set new targets and the international strategic planning process begins anew. Subscribe today to listen to more international business stories, guests coming on the show every Monday. Do not forget to connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find the link in the show notes. I'll speak with you again on the next episode.